The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, how's that sound? Good? Yeah. Well, mindfulness meditation is something that came from uh, the teachings of the Buddha. And more recently, it's been um, taught independently. It's been, it's been sort of pulled out of the greater um, practices and teachings of the Buddha and used as a kind of a secular form of stress reduction. You know, it's taught as mindfulness-based stress reduction. And mindfulness meditation has been shown scientifically to have certain benefits that people um, develop, uh, you know, a greater um, sense of relaxation, a reduction in stress, um, greater contentment. And so there's, there's benefits to mindfulness meditation that can be quantified. And for, for some people, for many people, that's really all they're looking for in, in this, doing this mindfulness, the meditation, is having a somewhat better life, a, you know, a greater sense of ease, a greater sense of well-being, less stress. Tonight we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, kind of bring in more of what was it that the Buddha actually um, was pointing to and what, how might one use mindfulness to go more deeply into um, your experience and develop a freedom from some of the um, kind of afflictive states that, we're, that we experience. Um, and the time, when the, what set the Buddha off looking to um, what his goal was when he set off from his his palace was that he he discovered that our lives there's there's um, there's there's pain there's loss. There's change, there's sickness, there's old age, and there's death. All of those, because we've taken a human form, because we're human beings, all of those are inevitable. So this practice can't eliminate you having those experiences. What this practice, what the Buddha was pointing to was a freedom from the... um, the despair, the suffering, the um, contraction, the stress that we bring to those experiences, that we add to those experiences, the way in which um, we relate to them in a way that causes us um, disturbance. You know that disturbs the mind that that keeps us from a state of peace and and well being. So, one of the new concepts that 
that I want to um, talk about tonight that I don't think gets talked about in mindfulness meditation classes is the whole concept of suffering. Um, at the time of the Buddha, the, his translation of this was the word dukkha. And I thought rather than, uh, well, I thought I'd read some of the synonyms that have been used for dukkha and so that you could get a sense of what is it that's being pointed to. Um, sometimes dukkha is described as disturbance, irritation, dejection, worry, despair, fear, dread, anguish, anxiety, vulnerability, injury, inability, inferiority, sickness, aging, decay of body and faculties, and the list goes on and on. So I'm not going to even read the whole list. You can, you can find it on the web. So, but maybe some of those words um, resonate with you. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've ex you know, I've, ex I've experienced disturbance. I've experienced uh, irritation. And I think our natural, I don't know if it's natural, I think that a quite common tendency when we're faced with these kind of afflictive forms of uh, these afflictive interstates, this sense of unease or um, suffering is to turn away from them. And we go, oh, you know, I don't really like that. You know, maybe I, I've got to find something else to do, something else to think about, you know, turn my attention somewhere or else. And what the Buddha taught was rather than turning away from this, there's a value in turning towards the suffering, really starting to pay attention to those things that afflict us. And he came up with what's called the Four Noble Truths, which I'm going to talk about tonight, which are, let's see, so if your goal is to really be free of this suffering, then some of the useful ways to use mindfulness meditation, one of the thing, some of the things that are valuable to pay attention to um, are described in the Four Noble Truths. So the first Noble Truth has to do with the fact that there is suffering and or stress or discontent. You know, whatever, whatever uh, variation you're experiencing at the time. Rather than turning away from it, trying to distract yourself, use the mindfulness to notice when it's present, to bring a, a sense of um, curiosity and investigation to that, to that dukkha, to that suffering. You know, kind of get to know it. You know, the, like irritation. So, for example, if you have a coworker that every morning comes in and says something to you that just really triggers a sense of irritation. You know, rather than turning away from it, notice, you know, start, start to bring the mindfulness, bring the awareness to 
oh, what's it like to be irritated? You know, bring some curiosity about that. You know, kind of get to know it. So, um, so there's many different levels of both coarse and, and subtle suffering. And over the, the period of time that you do this practice, you will probably encounter them all the way from just like intense, you know, hatred or despondency to just minor irritation or, um, you know, um, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I don't, things are pretty good, but not quite right. So, so bringing, so first of all, bringing awareness to suffering. That's one of the, th- one of the things that um, this mindfulness practice can um, help us with. The second noble truth that the, the Buddha taught and gives us a, pl- uh, a, uh, a guidance on what to pay attention to is that there's a cause for the suffering. If there was just suffering and there was no cause, if it was just totally random, which some of us may have a belief that that's true, um, then it wouldn't do much good to pay attention to suffering if it was, you know, if we had no um, possibility of reaching some freedom from it. So, So the second noble truth says that there is a cause for this suffering and that is clinging or craving. So, you know, you might say, yeah, but I don't cling. I don't crave. Um, My suffering is due to my boss, you know, or (laughs) it's due to my neighbor, it's due to my parents, you know, whatever it is. Um, So for the purposes of this, we really turn to what is it that we're clinging to? What is it that, that we're holding to so tightly that it's causing this um, suffering. So there's actually four categories of clinging and um, we don't have time to, to go in depth into all of them tonight. But So one of the areas to look for for clinging is um, sense pleasure. You know, we like things that are pleasant, right? Um, But no matter how pleasant something is, it's impermanent. You know, it's, you know that, that first scoop of ice cream is really, really good. You know? And the second one is pretty good as well. You know, by the time you get to the end of the bowl, you know, having another whole bowl probably isn't going to be quite as good as that first scoop. So you know, some recognition that, that the kind of... The dr- so there's nothing wrong with pleasant experience, but it's that drivenness that that you know that getting caught or that clinging to insisting that 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 uh, pleasant experience stay around that can be the cause of the suffering so looking for clinging in the area of sense pleasure another area that uh, clinging can often occur that 
you're encouraged to investigate is um, views and opinions, right? There's a way in which we really enjoy being right, you know? It's like that there's all sorts of things throughout the day that where we can make judgments about is our way of looking at this right? And we start to believe, oh, well, yeah, I am right. And then at some point, we actually come to believe that we're right about just about everything, just about all the time, right? And often that belief that we're right all the time can become so compulsive, you know, it can be a, a source of, of clinging to our rightness that that can be the source of our suffering. So that's another place to look is in um, views and opinions. Uh, the third area is um, our whole sense of self. You know, who do we think we are? You know, we have a lot of ideas that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm immutably a good person or I'm a bad person. Um, And really the truth is that all of those qualities kind of come and go all the time. That, you know, who we think we, we are is probably changing all the time. But there's some way in which when we try to hold on to some particular um, view of who we are, that that can be another source of, um, of suffering. And then there's another one that has to do with um, rites and rituals that I won't go into tonight. So, so this mindfulness um, training that we're doing then can be brought, first of all, to seeing suffering when it's present, and then also seeing the clinging that underlies it, that's the, the um, cause. And then finally, there are those moments of freedom when the clinging lets go, and that, there's, that, that the, um, the suffering ends. So also bringing mindfulness to those moments when you know, it's like, ah, you know, I've let go. I know I've had that experience often where I'll be talking to somebody and I'll be, you know, I, describing to them exactly how I was right and I was wrong in a certain situation. And then they'll point out to me, well, Jim, you know, look at this. And it's like, you know, I'll just realize that I was completely deluded. And it usually, at times like that, when, there's, when, I, when that clinging releases and the suffering ends, it usually ends in laughter. You know, and it often ends in like laughing at myself, somebody else laughing along with me. I had an experience at um, Spirit Rock a number of years ago where I had parked in a parking lot, in a parking space that was meant for only one car. Many of the parking spots are actually meant for two cars, and I didn't want to get parked in, so I, I parked in one that was, um, that was only one deep. And when I came out of my meditation, uh, 
um, that evening, I went and somebody had actually parked behind me. And I was so uh, enraged, you know. I mean, here, after meditating all day, I was still, um, you know, it's like, can't this person see that this, you know, they weren't supposed to be parking there. This was really only a one-car deep parking spot. And then at the end of the retreat, I, I went and I talked with one of the managers, and he said, well, that's right, they weren't supposed to be parked behind there, but because you were at this residential retreat, you weren't supposed to be parked there either. You were supposed to be parked across the street. <laughs> and I remember it was just like, oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I um, clung to my being right and suffered for so long um, because of that. And so in that moment when he told me, well, you were wrong as well, uh, he and I and several other people just started laughing about it and there was a, a lightness. So uh, that's the third category, the third noble truth about seeing the end of suffering that one can pay attention to with this practice. And then finally, the fourth noble truth has to do with a, a, a more um, structured way of developing ways of, of, of doing this practice. And they're called the Eightfold Path, and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, one of the factors in the Eightfold Path is right mindfulness. So mindfulness is just an, a real important part of this greater um, scheme for bringing a deeper um, recognition of the ways in which we're um, relating to the experiences of our life unskillfully and thus um, creating unnecessary pain and suffering. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully that gives you some idea of, of some of the things that are worthwhile paying attention to and that undoubtedly will arise as you're sitting and doing your meditation practice. So in addition to you know, paying attention to the body, the breath and the body and the emotions and the thoughts, you know, the, the recognition that some of the thoughts, some, some of the emotions may be pointing to some suffering that's going on and some clinging that's going on. So uh, I wish you well with that. And... So uh, we're going to get ready to do uh, a brief exercise, but I wanted to mention that there was a misprint in the time for today's session, and it said 7.30 to 8.30. And the rest of the, it'll, it's going to go till 9, but I wanted to tell people that it's 8.35 now, and if they had made other plans and needed to leave, <laughs> um, that's okay, that's, that was our mistake. So it'll go from 7.30 to 9, and it'll kind of run like this structure, and the last half hour, 25 minutes, we're going to do the exercise. So um, what we're going to do is... Um, I'm going to um, have you guys break into groups of three. So if you can do that now. <laughs> Just look to, around you to the closest person and groups of three. Is that going to work? And if um, it doesn't work out, let's see. Raise your hands if you need an extra person.
So can you break into groups of three and then and then two? And three and and four. That's fine. Is that right? Two, three, one, two, three. Okay. And then um, so I'm going to ask you a question. You guys can think about it. And then say briefly a response. Go around the group. Everybody gets a chance to answer this. Um, and then I'll ring the bell. And then I'll ask you another question. So the first question is, what are some types of suffering you have noticed since you started meditation? So my guess is you've been doing this for six, seven, eight weeks now. My guess is some stuff has come up. So like an example for me is when I started meditating, I noticed that I wanted to control all my experiences. <laughs> so there was always some way I wanted to change what I was experiencing. And that I noticed I was getting very anxious and uptight when it was when that wasn't happening so it's very difficult for me to see what was happening so i was always trying to change it that might be one like for an example one type of suffering that you notice clinging to the way i wanted things to be <laughs> um so you guys can think about it say you can just give a brief answer and then let the next person then go around as many times as you need to and i'll ring the bell at the end of let's say 10 minutes Okay? What are some of the types of suffering you have noticed since starting meditation? So, I hope that was useful. I hope that it sounded useful <laughs> from over here. Um, so now we'll just um, bring it back to the larger group if anyone has something they want to share about what you guys talked about. Um, sometimes it's just really helpful to to talk about it, and then you hear other people have very similar experiences, so you don't feel like such a freak, or whatever else is going on in your mind, right, um, can be very helpful. And uh, just some quick examples that came to mind, like Jim mentioned humor really helps him being able to laugh at himself over, you know, some of the ways he clings to how he wants things to be or being right. But um, sometimes the, the kind of suffering is really deep and tender and um, very difficult. So I guess I just wanted to add in that there's also deep levels of care and compassion that can get um, um, evoked and developed with this practice. And I think it's quite beautiful that we can meet our own suffering with that level of care and understanding because sometimes it's just really, really hard. And as much as we would like to laugh about it, some things just aren't so funny. Um, so anyways, um, yes, so from uh, any of you who want to share anything that came up in your group. There's one mic back there. So if you guys can pass it around if there's any hands. Yes. Uh, so you talked about uh, the four like, uh, like uh, causes of suffering and I mean so they were all good uh, but I thought that uh, from my experience uh, one of uh, the main reasons of uh, suffering is that uh, people uh, they are looking for love and uh, the acceptance uh, from others um, you know so like a lot of the reasons why people go 
to psychologists or you know they pop the pills is because oh my mom didn't love me I don't have friends or you know I mean uh, the reason I think even you know uh, why people spend you know uh, like uh, uh, buy a fancy car or they want a lot of money or uh, the power or they get uh, the plastic surgeries you know whatever you know they do I think it all, you know, boils down for uh, uh, the need to be accepted by uh, the society or by our uh, friends and family. Yeah, thank you for that. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think in doing the meditation, as as you become more aware of maybe at the emotional level of what is it what is it that you want then you don't have to get caught up so much in trying to get a better car or um things like that you know that you can notice that there's a a, a deeply held wish for um safety you know deeply held wish for contentment deeply held wish for connection so I think that if you can just stay with um, you know kind of that acknowledging that oh yeah there's a deep longing for connection then um, you may not know exactly how that will be met but rather than trying to um, At this point, I'm going to turn to one of my coworkers. So, um, dealing with connection, what what would you say? So, I can only speak from my experience. Is that I've been I have the more deeply and honestly I can connect with all aspects of this self then the need for all that other stuff out there really diminishes. And it's a process, but for me, it's so mm. worthwhile. I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> that's my <laughs> response. <laughs> Do you want to respond? Maybe I'll just add, I'm, um, this, essentially the same thing that they're saying, and, and I'll tie it a little bit to um, Jim's talk. For me, something that I saw was that I was clinging to this idea that connection will make me happy. So I really had that like deeply held belief. I was really holding on to something really tightly. And we discover the more that with this practice that whatever we're holding on to really tightly leads to suffering. If there can be some softness around it, there can be plenty of happiness without really strong connection. Anyone else? Can you pass the mic? So, so I guess in, in our group there was some discussion of when to meditate. So, you know, how, how to set aside that time or somehow make it happen, <laughs> at least for me. And I, I think we, we were sort of discussing that. So can you just 
give some practicals. I mean, just when do you meditate? I mean, is it always in the morning, or you just set a time, or, or, or you know, how does it happen? Because uh, I, I, at least for me, and I, I, I thought we, uh, we, we discussed that a bit. So I think the first step is seeing the value of it. And that's why we ask some of these questions, because I think when you see the value of it, and it's, you're willing to do it, you're more likely to set aside the time. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> yes, right. You have to want to do it in order to set aside the time. No matter how much you do, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do If it's something like nagging you, most likely we'll choose something else to do <laughs> that's more fun. Um, but for some people, it really is helpful to set aside a certain time um, in the morning before they've turned on all their devices. Right is probably a good time for a lot of people before they plug into everything, because then it's it's much more difficult to unplug from all the things that we're plugged into now. Um, my the way I do it is every time I remember, and it feels useful to me. So that's not just sitting meditation; that's daily life meditation, right? So I know Gil gave plenty of exercises for you to bring it into your daily life. So it's any time I remember to do it, and that gets stronger and stronger. The more I'm around people that do it, and the more, well, because I have to teach it, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, having discussions around it brings it back into the memory. So in all the daily tasks, if you guys can pick one that you feel is really um, a time that you find useful to meditate, whether it's driving or eating or having a conversation with somebody. So those, those are two things, is setting aside the time for a daily sit and then how it looks like when you're just doing your life. So I wish we could, if you have other questions, please come up, but it's a little past nine, so I want to respect that other people have to get home. So thank you so much. Thank you guys, too. Thank you. <laughs>